2 Timothy chapter number 3, 2 Timothy chapter number 3, uh, I began working on this message several years ago. The Lord's been putting this together in my heart and mind as a younger pastor and younger in the ministry. Uh, of course, uh, you know, I, I, I started pastoring when I was 34, 33, excuse me, 33, and, uh, and I was in the, I've been in ministry for 15 years, but, but, you know, we all go through these times in our life where we, we, we kind of try to figure out who we are, and we kind of figure out what direction we're going to go, and and who we're going to be. We don't have to be just like the people who mentor us. We don't have to be just like our parents, but we have to figure out what kind of a leader we're going to be, what kind of a person we're going to be. So I began writing this message, and the Lord began working in my heart. When I was invited to come preach chapel, I started working on this message, and then I chickened out. I said, no, I'm not going to preach that, and my wife said, you should preach it, and I said, I don't know, honey. I'll think about it, and then Pastor Chapel sent me a message. He said, I want you to preach on this subject, and it's a message I'm writing. So my wife, the Holy Spirit, and Pastor Chapel all told me to preach this today, okay? And so we're going to do it. All right. Second Timothy chapter number three. Look at verse number one. This know also then in the what? Last days, perilous times shall come for men shall be lovers of their own selves. Covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents. Are you listening, kids? All right. I'm just making sure my kids are listening. Disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent. Incontinent means they couldn't control themselves in certain ways. They, were, they just couldn't control themselves. Fierce despisers of those that are good, traitor, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. Well, they just love having a good time. They don't really love God. They just love having fun and having a good time. Verse 5, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. From such turn away. We know that Paul is speaking to Timothy here. Paul is a man of God and he's getting ready to pass off the scene. Timothy was somebody he was mentoring in the ministry, coming up in the ministry. Look at verse 6. For of this sort are they which creep into houses and lead captive silly women, laden with sins, letting away with diverse lusts, ever learning, never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now as Janus and Jambres withstood Moses, so do these. These, speaking about all these people that we just mentioned. So do these also resist the what? They resist the truth. They resist the what? They resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds reprobate, reprobate concerning the faith, but they shall proceed no further. Their folly shall be manifest unto all men, as theirs also was. But notice what Paul says to Timothy, and I want you to focus on verse 10. But thou, Timothy, thou hast fully known my what? You've known my doctrine. You've known my doctrine. Not only that, Timothy, but you've known my manner of life. You've seen my purpose. You've seen my faith. You've seen how I've been long-suffering and charity and patient during persecutions and afflictions which came to me in Antioch and Iconium. You were there, Timothy. You saw it. And at Lystra, what persecutions I endured. But out of them all the Lord delivered me. Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. But evil men... And seducers shall what? Wax worse and worse. It's going to get worse, he says. It's going to get worse. Notice this, deceiving and being deceived. Not only the deceiving others, they don't even realize the fact that they're deceived. They're so deceived themselves. They're not even realizing what they're doing. But continue thou, Timothy, in the things which thou hast learned and been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. And that from a child thou hast known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation, through the faith which is in Christ Jesus. Let's read verse 16 together. Ready, begin. All Scripture is given by inspiration of doctrine and is profitable. You did good. I messed up and you kept going. Amen. That's awesome. 
Verse 17, and that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. As I was thinking about this message and writing this message, we realize that today in 2019, in America specifically, I believe we live in a post-Christian culture. We live in a culture today that, that no longer adheres to a lot of the things that our, that our forefathers in the past, boy, they went to church and they understood those things. I believe we live in a day that it's not so much that way anymore. So how do we, as the Timothys, as the next generation coming up, and by the way, you are the next generation, coming up into this, uh, the work of God, and how do, we, how do we form, how do we formulate our convictions, how do we build our ministry, how do we build God's work, God's way? How do we know which path of life, with patch, with which path of ministry we should take? So many of my friends that I graduated with, or so many of my friends that I've known over the years, they've taken on a little bit of a different philosophy of ministry. And they don't look like what they were taught, and they're not doing what they were taught. And so many of my friends, and maybe some of your friends, they're doing things differently. And, and we think about that, and we look at that, and we think, what am I going to do? How, 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 what, am, what path am I going to take? So how do we build God's work God's way? Certainly, I'm not an expert on this. I, I just know this. Our, our church, like Lancaster Baptist Church, we want to reach the lost. How many here want to reach the lost? How many want to make a big difference in your life? Our church, we want to reach the lost. My heart is to see people get saved. That's my heart. I'm a younger pastor. We have a younger staff. But we've just determined, Brother Weaver, we've just determined we're not going to, we're going to do things God's way. I said we're going to do things God's way. We're not, we're not going to do all kinds of weird stuff. We're just going to do what God wants us to do. Hold up your word of God you have this morning, your Bible. Say, what is God's way? This is God's way. Somebody say Amen. This is God's way. And I've just determined we're going to, by the way, when you do things God's way, it works. It works. Father, I pray that you bless the message today. I hope it encourages us. I hope it helps us. Lord, you've been working on this message in my heart for some time. I pray that it helps somebody here this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. When I was growing up, uh, uh, I don't know what your dad did for a living, but my dad was in construction. And... Uh, Ready, brother? Here we go. All right. I was in construction, and, uh, and specifically, I, I set tile. My dad set tile, and I helped him set tile. I started helping my dad when I was nine years old, and uh, I started helping him, and I kind of did it on the side uh, a few times, and then I did it professionally for a while, and so construction was kind of a big deal in my life, and so how many know what this is? What is it? It's a, it's a level. It's a level. You can hit people with it. Uh, it's, you guys, two handles. It's kind of like, you know, anyway. Um, but uh, a level is very important when it comes to construction. There's some principles in construction that you just you can't break. One of those things is it needs to be flat. It needs to be straight. It needs to be level. It needs to be plumb. This way is level. This way is plumb. You use this thing to make sure it's up and down, right? I remember one of the first times I, 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 did, a, I did a job. I was probably 20 years old, and it was one of the first jobs I did professionally. And it was a shower. I'll never forget this, Brother Weaver. The, the shower was a three-wall shower. And one of the walls I started setting, what you're supposed to do is you're supposed to check the wall to make sure it's plumb before you start putting tile on it. I didn't check the wall. It was three-quarters of an inch out of plumb. For those of you that don't know construction, that's too much. And so I started setting. I'm trying to get my tile to fit on there. And, and I, I didn't know what to do. I was trying to hurry. And, and I was trying to get done, you know, trying to go home. And I start going up. And I start noticing it's like the tile started coming back at me. 
But you know what? I didn't think. I just kept going. I just put it on there and I left. My boss called me the next day and boy, he was mad. He gets on the phone. He goes, Perry, what did you do? And I, I'm like, I don't know what I did. He goes, you created the Leaning Tower of Perry. He was so mad. So from that day forward, they call it the Leaning Tower of Perry. And uh, you know what's you know, the thing about, in, but about construction is if you don't pay attention to what you're doing, you can get out of level just a little bit, just a little bit. I don't know if who, whoever did this flooring in here, but if you would have started at this end of the building and you would have been a quarter of an inch or a sixteenth of an inch or even a thirty-second of an inch out of square with the entire room, it might not seem like a big deal down here. It might not seem like a big deal ten feet down the wall. But by the time you get to the end of the room, you'll be a foot off the wall. A little bit's a big deal. And sometimes in our, the way we build our lives and the way we build God's work, we, we change things just a little bit or we tweak things just a little bit and it doesn't seem like that big of a deal right now. And right now it's like, hey, what's the problem with this? What's the big deal with this? But down the road we start to see the effects of things when we do that down the road. We need to be careful how we build our lives. We need to be careful how we build God's work because a little bit makes a big difference down the road. I believe that this generation, right here in this room, I was speaking with Dr. Weaver a few minutes ago, and he said that uh, about 100 or so more are graduating. How many are graduating this year? How many graduating? Aren't you happy? Good job. Thank you for finishing. And you're graduating, and boy, you're moving on. He said about 95% or so are placed in the ministry and, and going into the ministry, and most of them are placed. And boy, that's exciting. You are the next generation. You're the Timothys in the room today. You're who's going to be here in 10 years, in 15 years. You'll be standing up here, brother. You'll be, uh, uh, you'll be somebody's wife. You'll be uh, whatever. You'll, in the next 10, 15 years, you're going to be the ones training the next generation. And so we need to be careful how we build our lives, how we build God's work. By the way, this morning, how many of you want to make a deep impact for Christ? How many of you say, you know what, in your soul, you feel something burning I want to do something for God. Only three of you. All right, let's try that again. I want to do something for God. How many say, I want to make a big difference for God? Come on now, raise your hand. I want to make a big difference. I don't want to just waste my entire life. I want to do something for God. Raise your hand. Raise your hand. Both hands. Wave them in the air like you just don't care. All right, we'll keep moving. All right. I want to make a big difference, Brother Shepherd. I want to do something with my life. I, I don't want to get to the end of my life and look at a leaning tower of Perry. I want to do something with my life. And how many of you this morning, you want to wake up and go to work and do more than just earn a paycheck? Then the ministry is right for you. It's right for you. Because you could do a lot for God. By the way, serving the King of Kings, all these past 15 years have been the best 15 years. I'm telling you, serving the Lord, there's nothing better than serving the Lord. Nothing better. My kids have so much fun, you have no idea. They live, they're living the dream, literally. Serving the Lord is so much fun. I want to encourage you with that. Let me, let me get to the message. Number one, how do we build God's work God's way? What are some practical things we can look at? What are some nuts and bolts this morning? I want you to notice Paul is warning Timothy about a couple things. Number one, I see here he's warning Timothy not to conform to the corrupt culture. Not to conform to the corrupt culture. Now, I don't know about you, but that's a good place to say Amen. So let's try that again. Not to conform to the corrupt culture. Amen. 
Amen. All right. We are not to conform. Look what it says in verse 1. You know also that perilous times shall come. Men shall be lovers of their own selves. And he goes on. Covetous, boasters, proud. Uh, verse 3. Without natural affection, truce breakers. He's saying, listen, the culture, there's, there's traitors. They're heady. They're high-minded. The cultures, they, they love pleasure more than lo they love God. The culture, they have a form of godliness, but they deny the power thereof. This culture, they creep into houses leading silly women laden with sins, and they do all these crazy things. Verse 7. Ever learning, never able to come to the truth. Don't conform to this corrupt culture. Paul is warning Timothy. Does anybody here see a similarity in these verses to 2019? Does it look like Lancaster to you? Boy, this is a corrupt culture that we live in. Would you take your Bibles and go to Romans chapter number 12? Romans chapter number 12. I think we could all agree this morning that we shouldn't be trying to conform to this culture that we live in. Romans chapter number 12, verse 1 and 2. The Bible says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a what? A living sacrifice. What's the next word? You know the same God uh, that told Timothy to write the word holy at that time period is the same God that we serve today. So the same God that told Paul to tell the Romans to be holy is the same God that demands that we're holy. That we live our holy lives. So he says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercy of God, present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Now notice verse number two. And be not, what's the word? Conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Paul is telling uh, the Roman church here, he's saying, listen, don't conform to the world. You know what the word conformed means? It means to fashion yourself like, or to look like, or to become like, or to take a similar form to. You say, well, what does it mean by world? The word uh, for world, the Greek word is A-I-O-N. It means age. In other words, Paul is saying, he's saying, listen, don't, don't conform yourself to the time period, or don't conform yourself to the culture of the time period that you're living in. Paul is telling Timothy, he's saying, in the last days, perilous times shall come, in your time period, in your age. And Paul is warning Timothy, listen, don't conform to the culture of that you're living in. Don't take on the philosophies. Don't take on the style. Look at, don't conform to that age that you're living in. We need to be careful about that. Paul says in our text to Timothy, know also, know also. You know what he's telling him? He said, look around you, Timothy. Look at the culture. I have a question for you this morning. How many would agree with me that the culture is in bad shape? It's in bad shape. Then why are we trying to conform to the culture? We know it's in bad shape. We know there's problems and issues. Why are we trying to conform to that? Here's the simple truth this morning. I don't believe that we're building God's way, our lives, building our ministries God's way, if we're fashioning ourselves after the current culture, conforming or condoning or promoting the current culture. When I was a youth pastor, uh, uh, I tried to help my teenagers uh, see that the world, listen, there's, there's nothing good out there. There's nothing good. There's nothing good about that. God has everything good in your life. I was, I was looking at some research uh, recently, and, and I saw where uh, there's a movie out, Bird Box, and I saw this one youth group. They had Bird Box night at youth group, and their youth group came, and they, they put, it's a movie, they put a, a blindfolds on, and they're, they're standing around, and they're looking for the Holy Spirit. And I thought, and here's the quote that the youth pastor gave. He says, we're trying to redeem the secular. It's not our job, Brother Shetler, to redeem the secular. 
We're not supposed to conform to the world. We're supposed to what? Transform by the renewing of our minds. We're supposed to transform according to this book right here. We're supposed to allow this to dictate what we do, not Netflix. Amen? Amen. Somebody say amen. amen. Boy, we ought to be careful about conforming to the culture. I hear people say all the time, I'm a younger pastor, so I have a lot of younger pastor friends, and I'm doing my best right now to, Brother Weaver, to, uh, to collaborate with a, with a lot of pastors in my area, because I love California. If you're considering planning a church, please come to California. It's an awesome place to live, by the way. You say, well, it's too expensive. Forget about that. God will take care of that. Live where there's the beach, amen? Come on now. I like where I live. We live in Manteca. It's four and a half hours north on the five, kind of right in the middle of the state. We're about an hour and a half away from San Francisco, about an hour and a half away from Yosemite. And so we have all kinds of cool stuff to do and take the family to. And uh, anyways, I, I, I hear this a lot as a pastor. Here's what I hear. I don't know if you've heard this before, but if we don't contextualize our church, if we don't contextualize, we will not be relevant. If we don't contextualize, if we don't contextualize what we do, we will not be relevant. I hear a lot of younger pastors that we talk about those things a lot, but I want to ask you a question this morning. Is the church relevant? What, is the, what does God say about His Word? Forever, O Lord, Thy Word is what? Settled in heaven. So how long is this book going to last? Everybody ready? Forever. As long as we do God's work, God's way, we will always be relevant. Somebody say amen. As long as we do God's work, God's way, we will always be relevant. The problem today is that contextualizing, when we talk about contextualizing, we're not talking about live streaming and graphics and air conditioning. That's not the spirit. Those things help us. They, they help us get people in. This last Sunday, we had a great Sunday. We, we packed out two services. We had many folks say we had about 40 visiting families. Had a great, great time. I mean, we're not talking about having two services or having uh, screens. That, that's not the spirit behind contextualization. What a lot of folks are talking about when they talk about contextualization, stick with me, is conforming to the culture to reach the culture. What does Paul say? Don't conform to the culture. What are they talking about when they say conforming or contextualizing? Here's what they mean. Conforming to the culture's depra depraved view of holiness. How many have seen pastors on social media up on the platform with tattoos? I mean, all over. And they got tattoos after they became a pastor. And earrings. I saw a picture of a pastor the other day, uh, supposedly a pastor, had his shirt off and he's got tattoos all over and, and piercings walking around with Justin Bieber. I just don't think that that's holy. What does holy mean? It means to come out from among them and be separate. It means to look different. It means to act different. It means to be different. So conforming to the culture's depraved view of holiness. It means to conform to the culture's degenerating dress standards. It means to conform to the culture's demonically inspired music. I have men in my church that, are, that were saved out of the Pentecostal movement. One particular man, he's been teaching our junior church for almost 20 years. His name is Brother John, and Brother John talks to me all the time. He got saved out of the Pentecostal movement, and he used to tell, he, he would talk to me about how they would do drugs, and he'd come to church, and they would do all the music in the Pentecostal church, and, and he goes, I could literally see demons moving around, in the, and, and it was crazy. He goes, you don't understand how, demonic, how demonically inspired the music is in the Pentecostal church, but yet a lot of our churches are using Pentecostal music in their churches. If that's contextualization, no, it's not. It's conforming to the culture. Conforming to the culture's detesting of biblical authority. 
We don't need a pastor. We don't need somebody to preach and tell us what to do. Conforming to the culture's demand for attractional entertainment. Conforming to the culture's detesting of biblical authority. Conforming to the culture's disapproval of biblical preaching. Conforming to the culture's demand for unbiblical tolerance. Conforming to the culture's desire for an emotional experience over true repentance. You've got to be careful about conforming to the culture. What does Paul tell Timothy when he's talking to Timothy here? He say, listen, Timothy, in the last days, perilous times are coming. Men are going to be lovers of their own selves. They're going, to, they're, going to, they're going to be all these things. And listen, just go with the flow, Timothy. Is that what he says? Is that what he says? Just go with the flow. Just do what they do because that will make them feel comfortable. Just do what they do. No, that's not what he says. As a matter of fact, in 2 Timothy verse, uh, chapter number 4, verse 2, he says, Preach the word. Be instant, in season, out of season. Whether they like it or they don't like it, preach the word. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but will heap to themselves teachers having what? Itching ears. Paul tells Timothy, listen, don't conform. Keep preaching. Hey, you know, sometimes I preach and, and uh, I'll preach on a Sunday morning. And, and listen, I, I'm preaching this way to you. I'm not always this way on Sunday morning, but, but I'll, I'll be kind and loving and folks will come in. And sometimes people will leave and they won't like what I said. But you know what? I know that I pr- preached the truth. I told them the truth. And they didn't come back because of the way I preached. They didn't come back because they don't like the truth. But you know what? We have people joining our church by the droves. And you know what they're telling me? You know what they're telling me? Thank you for telling us the truth. We're sick and tired of being lied to. We're tired of this milk toast Christianity. We're tired of, of watering everything down. Just tell us the truth. Preach the truth. Amen? Oh, it's an exciting day to live. We've heard the quote before. I've heard Pastor Chapel use this quote. In the midst of a generation screaming for answers, Christians are stuttering. You know what? We don't have to stutter. We have the answer. Somebody say amen. We don't have to stutter. We have the answer right here in our hands. Oh, what a wonderful thing. I read a thesis this past week by Indiana University. It just came out in Harvard University. They did a sociological uh, a study on, on the science of this thing of secularization in America. And this recent research argues that the United States is secularizing. And we understand that. And that religion, is, its change is consistent with the secularization thesis. In other words, as the, as the world, as America becomes more secular and less uh, understanding of godly things and those things, it's becoming less and less. Uh, churches are becoming less and less. And, but here's what the study said. This is very interesting. Because what we show that rather than religion fading into irrelevance, as the secularization thesis would suggest, here's what they said. Intense religion... Or by definition, what does that mean? It means uh, having a strong affiliation or very frequent practice. That means going to church more than once a week. Amen, Baptist right there. Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, three to thrive, four to score, you know, all that stuff. Very frequent practice. Literalism, that means believing that the Bible is the Word of God. And evangelicalism, in other words, preaching the gospel, is not only persistent, but in fact growing. And here's what they said. Only, this is by Harvard University, only moderate religion is on the decline in the United States. We conclude, you say, what is moderate? That means not going to church more than once a week. That means not giving. That means not evangelizing. That means uh, they, they don't believe that God's word is the word of God. Only moderate religions are on the decline, but intense religions are holding steady and actually growing. I thought this was very encouraging. 
Here's what they said, Harvard University. We conclude that intense religion in the United States is persistent and exceptional in ways that do not fit the secularization thesis. You say, what are you trying to say, Pastor? What I'm trying to say is this. You do God's work, God's way, God blesses it. You do God's work, God's way, God blesses it. I got to move on. So we see that Paul is warning Timothy, don't conform to the culture. Let me give you number two. I only have three simple points. Number two is this. Be clear-headed, Timothy. Be clear-headed about counterfeits. Be clear-headed about counterfeits. I thought this was interesting. If you look at verse number eight, now as Janus and Jambres withstood Moses. Does anybody here know who Janus and Jambres were? They played basketball with Timothy. No, I'm just kidding. Anyway, uh, Janus and Jambres, I don't know where they came from. Janus and Jambres were the, uh, by, according to Jewish tradition, they were the sorcerers who withstood Moses in the book of Exodus when Moses came in with Aaron. They stood before Pharaoh. They did some miracles. They did some things. They performed it before Pharaoh. Janus and Jambres, according to Jewish tradition, these were the men uh, that were the sorcerers that counterfeited or copied uh, the miracles that were done. There were several things that they were able to copy. They were able to turn their staff into snakes, just like Moses was able to. They were able to turn the water into blood. There were several things they were able to do, but when it came to the miracle of the lice, they were not able to do it because we all know that we need God's power to get rid of lice. Amen? Come on now. If you work in the bus ministry, you know what I'm talking about. But anyway, don't raise your hand if you know what I'm talking about. Anyway, <coughs> when it came to lice, they were unable to copy that miracle. So there was, here's, the, here's the lesson behind that. <coughs> Janus and Jambres were able, listen to this, this is something that I had to come to a conclusion. Janus and Jambres were able to copy some of the things that Moses did. They were able to copy some of it. If you would have looked at the first thing that they did, the second thing that they did, they, I, I could just imagine the Egyptians, as, 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 as Moses turned the water and the wine, and Janus and Jambres turned the water and the wine, they thought, what's the big deal? Our guys can do that. They were able to copy. They were able to counterfeit. And Paul is telling Timothy, listen, be clear-headed about counterfeits. There are some things, though, that Satan can copy, but there are some things he can't copy. How many have ever been to a magic show or seen a magic show on TV? Not in college, right? You didn't see it in college, right? All right, magic show on television. Does anybody here actually believe in magic? Do you believe in magic? Anyway, anybody? You don't typically go to a magic show or you don't typically watch that on television and you're thinking to yourself, wow, he has magical powers. Here's what I do a lot, though. I'll see him do a trick and I'm like, man, that's incredible. And I'll say this to myself. If you know what I'm going to say, say it with me. How did he, like Patrick on SpongeBob, how did he do that? How did he, how did he do that? Now you'll have that in your head all day, all right? We go to a magic show, we watch a magic trick, and we think to ourselves, we don't actually think that they have magical powers, but we say to ourselves, how in the world did they do that? I mean, that was incredible. How did they do that? Have you ever seen somebody leave Bible college, and all of a sudden they're posting pictures on Instagram, and boy, they're having the greatest time, and, and boy, it was the best decision they ever made, and they're with their girlfriend at the beach, and, and boy, they're, they're rubbing it in the face of the people that stayed and finished strong and graduated from college, and you look at that, you look at Facebook, you look at Instagram, think, how do they do that? How do they step out of God's will and they're having such a good time? The answer is they're not. It's fake. It's an illusion. 
say, how do you know that? Because I'm a pastor. I deal. You were a pastor too. We deal with the mess that's created by the wake of the illusion. And all I'm saying this morning, sometimes we see things like that and we think, how do they do that? Be clear-headed about counterfeits. Not everything that looks good is good. Amen? I mean, think about McDonald's. Anyway, moving on, all right? How do they do that? Once in a while as a pastor, I'll, I'll drive around my town and, and I'll drive across this, there's this one particular church and I know they don't preach the gospel there. And boy, but they have a beautiful, large building and boy, it's nice. It's right off the freeway. Everyone can see it. We're out with the cows in the cow pasture. And I see that building and I see the cars out and I, and I think to myself, Brother Shepherd, I think, how do they do that? You know what? It's a magic trick. It's a magic trick. The devil is good at one particular thing. He's good at magic tricks. Would you take your Bibles and go to 2 Corinthians chapter number 11? I'll be done right on time. 2 Corinthians chapter number 11. We must be clear-headed about counterfeits. Satan is really good <clears throat> at counterfeiting things. He's good at illusions. 2 Corinthians chapter number 11. Are you there? Look at verse 13. For such are false prophets, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. And no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also transform, uh, be transformed as ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their works. Notice how Paul is drawing a comparison of false prophets and deceitful workers to Satan himself himself transforming uh, as an angel of light. And sometimes we might look at a church and we think they're not really doing things God's way. Then how are they getting that large crowd? Or how, they're not really preaching the gospel. How are they reaching so many people? And here's the answer this morning. Don't be surprised. No marvel. Satan himself transforms himself as an angel of light. Don't be, don't be surprised by the counterfeits out there. We need to be clear-headed not every successful person, not every successful church, not every successful movement is built God's way. Satan has always been able to gather followers by magic tricks. So how do we tell the difference? Remember what we said earlier? Satan can, can, can counterfeit some things, but there's some things he can't counter. You know what he cannot counterfeit? He cannot counterfeit a changed life. He cannot counterfeit a changed life. My wife and I were out soul winning uh, we were out soul winning for before Easter, and one particular Saturday, was, we were out for a while, and I got to give the gospel four times that Saturday. I didn't see, nobody asked the Lord to save him that Saturday. The man, one man came, got saved on Easter. But I got to give the gospel four times. I'm being honest with you this morning. Can I level with you? No pun intended, all right? Can I level with you? I'm a pastor. You know what I spend a lot of my time doing? Trying to, trying to help people realize that they've never been saved biblically. A lot of people that I, that, I, that I witness to, well, they go to the Thrive Church and they go to Sunrise over here and they go to this church, they go to this community church. And a lot of times I'll say, hey, do you know for sure you're going to heaven when you die? And they'll say, oh, yeah. How'd you know? Well, I was driving down the street one day and a car ran a stop sign. It almost hit me and I saw a dove fly across my car and a butterfly landed on the windshield and I knew that I was saved. I'm like, what church are you going to? You know, and I spent a lot of my time telling people, listen, this is how you're saved. 
Because people that go to a lot of these churches, listen, they can have all the light shows and all the whatever that they want and they can bring people in. But Satan has a counterfeit. And listen, but he cannot counterfeit a changed life. And many of these people that I deal with on a daily basis don't even know that they're saved because they're sitting in a place that's not preaching the gospel. And I want to just want you to think about something for a minute. How are you going to build the work that you're going to do? If it's not based upon the gospel, it's not God's way. Somebody say amen. amen. If it's not based upon the gospel, it's not God's way. Let me tell you about a really popular spiritual movement that's taking place right now. There's over 16 million followers, 30,000 local congregations, 300,000 college students studying this thing. And there's about 60,000 millennials actively spreading the belief. You say, what is that? That's the Mormon church. Just because it's successful, just because they got a lot of people in the parking lot, doesn't mean it's God's way. So we need to be clear-headed about counterfeits. Let me give you number three. I need to close. Number three is this. Let's determine to collaborate with credible craftsmen. I know it's a lot of C's. I don't know what's wrong with me. But collaborate with credible craftsmen. Brother Weaver, would you come up here, Dr. Weaver? Dr. Getch, would you come up here? Brother Shetler, would you mind coming up here? Real quick, real quick. i got to make this point quick. i got two minutes. Most of us tonight, this morning, most of us, we have credible craftsmen in our lives. Paul tells Timothy, if you look at verse 11, or verse 10, he says, but thou hast fully known my doctrine, my manner of life. You know who I am. Paul looks at Timothy, he says, you know who I am. You know what I've done. You know the persecutions. You know my doctrine. You know my manner of life. You know everything I've been through. You know what's, what, what's happened to me. He goes, Timothy, you were there. You saw it. You saw what I went through. See, a lot of my generation, what we've done, if we've done this to you guys, we've said, we don't need you guys. You know, I, I got a really cool blog, really, not blog, a really cool podcast I listen to. And boy, he's sharp, man. And 20 minutes, he gives me more. And boy, I tell you, I got a lot of cool podcasts that I listen to. And I got a lot. And you know what? One podcast I was actually listening to, I'll admit it to you, and it was a good podcast, good leadership stuff. And I went and I thought, you know, I'm just going to check out his doctrinal statement. And the guy doesn't even believe the gospel the way we believe it, and yet I'm listening to him. You see, we have some credible craftsmen. Dr. Getch, how long have you been in ministry? 45 years! Credible craftsmen. I grew up in construction. My dad didn't walk into a, a, a finished bathroom and say, okay, son, this is what it's supposed to look like. Good luck. No, no, he was my mentor. He stood with me. He watched me as I did what I did. He, he corrected me when I made a mistake. He said, no, don't do that. Do that, son. I didn't go across the house and ask the plumber how to do it. I, sorry, I just spit on you, Brother Weaver. Anyway, I, I didn't go across and ask the plumber how to do it. I asked my dad. He was my mentor. He was a credible craftsman. He'd been doing it for 40 years. The guy knew how to do it. And you know what? This man right here has been doing this for 45 years. His life speaks for itself. You might want to listen to him. And Brother Weaver, 45 years in the ministry. 45 years in the ministry. You say, well, I got this guy, and boy, he's really sharp, and boy, his camera angles are good, and he works out every day. He's a man's man. That's great. But you know what? This guy's been in the ministry 45 years. You might want to collaborate with him a little bit. Dr. Scheller, how long have you been in the ministry? 40 this year. 100,000 years of ministry right here. <laughs> you know what Paul tells Timothy? I got to quit. I got more, but I got to quit. Paul tells Timothy, you know me. You've watched Brother Getch, Dr. Getch. I remember watching you preach when I was in seventh grade. 
seventh grade, Northland, Wisconsin. I remember listening to you there. I thought, wow. I remember you came to my school chapel when I was in fifth grade, Watertown, Wisconsin. Since I was in fifth grade, he's been preaching. Brother Weaver, you became my daddy when I became to college, when I came to college. And some of you here, Brother Shetler's meant so much to you. He's meant so much to you. Brother Shepherd's meant so much to you. All I'm trying to say this morning is, listen, you can find a lot of really cool podcasts and you can find a lot of stuff out there, but you don't know the guts of their ministry. You don't know their doctrinal statement. I guarantee you, some of you listen to podcasts, you don't even know what doctrinal statement they hold to. You don't know if they're Calvinists. You don't know if they believe in the preservation and inspiration of Scripture. You don't know if they believe in the gospel. You don't know, you don't know if they believe in baptismal regeneration. You don't know what they believe in yet. You're just listening to what they say. You think, man, that's really cool. That's awesome. When we have 120 plus years of credible craftsmen right here. How many of you are thinking, don't raise your hand. <laughs> How many of you think about leaving college? After finals this year, you're not coming back, I'm done with it. Have you talked to some incredible craftsmen? What do you think about this? Well, I asked my buddy Jimmy in my room. Your buddy Jimmy doesn't know his elbow from his, from his heel. He doesn't know anything. He doesn't know anything. Ask these guys. Some of you are thinking about your philosophy of ministry. Before you sit down and you write it down and determine this is what I'm going to do, maybe, maybe collaborate with these men. Pastor Chapel. And say, what do you think about this? What do you think about this direction, Pastor Chapel? What do you think about this direction? What do you think about all this stuff happening? Well, I listen to a podcast and boy, it's... Listen, collaborate with credible, credible craftsmen. Thank you men for being up here. I appreciate that. Sorry to use you. Let's give them a hand. I'm going to close, all right? there's a lot of untrustworthy unreliable undependable and unpredictable sources out there we have a lot of men in our life and ladies in our life mrs weaver other ladies in our life that are credible collaborate with them by the way these people that were just up here they've dedicated their entire life to serving you, you say well all they do is give me demerits preacher I but they've, de they've dedicated their life to training you, to helping you collaborate with them. And so I want to challenge you this morning. i got to close, but I want to challenge you today. Would you commit in your heart, would you commit in your soul right now as a young person, say, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do things God's way. I'm, just gonna, I'm not going to do it my way. I'm not going to do it somebody else's way. I'm going to do it God's way. Would you commit to what Paul warns Timothy? Would you, would you not conform to the culture, the corrupt culture? Would you be clear-headed about counterfeits? And <clears throat> would you learn to collaborate with credible craftsmen? <clears throat> I'll close with this, brother. I love this song. How many have ever heard the song, To Count for Jesus? You've heard that song? All want their lives to count for something, to leave their mark when life is through. But vain pursuits will count for nothing. Time will erase whatever we do. I want my life to count for Jesus. Earthly things will quickly fade. No need to add to worldly riches. Say that four times fast. I only seek eternal gain. Inside my heart there burned a question. What was I placed on earth here for? It truly was to build a kingdom, but not my own, but of the Lord's. Would you commit this morning to building God's work? God's way.